morning. All right, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we are in the middle of a series on uh, looking at 1 Peter. And um, whether this is the first time you've joined us on Sunday or you're listening to our podcast online or watching online this morning, I want to give you just a real quick reason why we're looking at this book in particular this summer. So Story Church, we are a new church. We're a church plant. I mean, we're technically new. It doesn't feel like we're new. We've been around for uh, almost two years as as people gathering together. And we like to say that we exist to invite our neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus. That's our mission. That's our rallying cry. We exist to invite neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus. And I want to define what we mean by that. First, it means that as a church, we are a community of people who have been shaped by Jesus and are being shaped by the story of Jesus. Um, We are a people who recognize that apart from the grace and mercy of God, sending his son Jesus to live in our place and die in our place, apart from that story, we have no hope. And so we are first and foremost a people who find our hope in Jesus. We're not a group of people who think that we're better than other people. We're not a group of people who think that we our behavior and life choices are better than others. We are a people that are primarily gathered because we share in our knowledge of our sin and our hope in Jesus. But then secondarily, we exist not as just a people gathered who have been shaped by Jesus, but we exist as a people who gather together to then posture ourselves outward towards our neighbors to invite them into the story of Jesus. We don't just exist for ourselves. We exist for the sake of those who are not yet part of this community. And that leads me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter the Apostle to a group of Christians who are in a variety of churches in a particular part of the ancient Roman world who have been shaped by the story of Jesus. And they've been sent on mission to invite their neighbors into that story too. And they are having a hard time. They are facing um, persecution from their neighbors. They're facing hostility from their culture. They're facing internal doubts and fears, it's hard to be a Christian in the ancient Roman world, just as it is hard to be a Christian today. And so the things that Peter writes to them to encourage them and strengthen them are the same things that we need to hear today to encourage us and strengthen us. So that's why we're looking at 1 Peter, because I believe it is a letter written to us as disciples of Jesus, shaped by the story of Jesus, who want to invite our neighbors into that story too. So that's why we're looking at 1 Peter. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage in which 
Peter gives the instruction to his listeners, his readers, his hearers. He tells them, if you want to be faithful and missional in your community, if you want to remain faithful to Jesus and missional towards your neighbors so that they would come to know Jesus, here's what you need to do. You need to live a holy life. That's what we're going to look at today. Peter's instruction to Christians to live a holy life. So let's read this passage and then unpack what Peter means by that. What does Peter mean by living a holy life? And then we'll ask, why should we do it? So what does it mean, why should we do it? We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Peter writes this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now, Spirit, would you illuminate it to our hearts and our heads. Would you convict us of our sin and draw us near to your grace? We pray now these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. So what does Peter mean by living a holy life? That word holy, it's a hard word. And it's a word that often gets used in some terrible ways. Uh, it's not a common word. We don't use it in our popular vocabulary. We don't often use it. When we do use it or when we do hear it used, it's often used and associated with the idea of someone who thinks they're better than other people. You know the phrase, holier than thou? It's a pejorative phrase. We use this word to call out when people seem self-righteous or full of themselves or judgmental towards others. I mean, it's a really, it's a nasty word, the way that it's used today. Um, but that's not the way that Paul or Peter is calling us to use that word. He isn't saying, hey, live your life in a way that uh, you think you're better than other people. Now, so what does Peter mean by live a holy 
life. What does he mean by holy? Holy, just plain and simple, means to be set apart. It's a simple word that just means something has been set apart or, or consecrated or pulled away from ordinary use. I was cleaning out my closet this weekend and trying to get my winter clothes put away so I could pull out my, uh, uh, my summer wardrobe. And in my closet, I realized there's some dress shirts and outfits in here that I don't wear all the time. I hardly wear them. They're set aside for a specific purpose. I set them aside. So, you know, you might have uh, like a dress or an outfit that's like in a bag that's protected. That, that's, it's a holy outfit. Not because it's better than the others, but because it's set aside for a specific purpose. That's, that's what the word holy means. It's set apart. It's set apart for a purpose. And the idea of being holy or called to holiness comes out of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. And Peter actually quotes that. Uh, he quotes Leviticus 11. He says, be holy for I am holy. It's right out of Leviticus 11. Leviticus, it's our favorite book. We, we go back to it time and time again. Um, but honestly, like, it's such an important book. The book of Leviticus is about God calling a people together and saying, I am setting you apart from the rest of the world. And I'm setting you apart for a purpose. I'm setting you apart for a purpose. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. In the midst of all of its rules and regulations, it is God calling his chosen people, his chosen instruments to be used for a purpose, to bless the nations. That's the purpose of God calling his people to himself. I've set you apart to bless the nations. When Israel was set apart and called to be God's own, it wasn't that they were better than the rest of the nations. It wasn't that they were more holy or uh, moral than the rest of the nations. It wasn't that they were richer than the rest of the nations. It wasn't that they were more populous or numbered more than the rest of the nations. No, what set them apart was that God chose them and chose to be with them. That's what was distinct about Israel. God was with them. Therefore, they were to be holy because God was with them. All of the rules and regulations of that, that time, the book of Leviticus, the, you know, this is what's clean, this is what's not clean, this is how you offer a sacrifice, this isn't how you offer a sacrifice, these are the clothes you should wear, these aren't the clothes you should wear, this is the food you should eat, this is not the food you should eat. All of those served the purpose of reminding the people you are to be distinct from the world. You are to be separate from the world. You are to be called out from the world. Those rules and regulations were to be a constant daily reminder that God has called me, God has called us to be distinct. We are called to be holy, set apart for a purpose. The purpose 
of these rules and regulations was that Israelites were to wake up every day. God's people were to wake up every day and say, God, okay, I am here. I am ready to serve you. I am ready to do what you have called me to do. How can I live for you today? How can I bless the nations today? How can I love my neighbor today? What purpose are you calling me to today? You have enlisted me. You have called me. I stand here ready to serve you. Give me your charge. Tell me, what am I to do? That is what it meant to be part of God's holy people, called out of the world to serve a purpose. And that purpose was to love God and love others. That was the purpose of these rules and regulations, called out to love God and love the neighboring nations. And it's there in Leviticus, in the midst of all of the the details, Leviticus 23 says, when you are out reaping the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, but you should leave them for the poor and for the sojourner who is among you, for I am the Lord your God. In the midst of all of the rules about being clean or unclean, being distinct, being holy, God reminds them the purpose of these things is to love. Love God and love your neighbor. Even the way that you reap your harvest is to be distinctly different. Harvest your crop in such a way that you love God and love your neighbor. This, when I was studying this week for this passage, it was actually a paradigm shift for me. I I don't think I had ever made the connection before that to be called to be holy was primarily a call to love. I, I think so much of my upbringing, I believe that to be holy was primarily about my personal morality or purity. But we see that the primary purpose and goal of holiness is not primarily personal purity. Holiness is primarily about love. Do you love God? And do you love your neighbor? That is what it means to be holy. Remember the guy that came up to Jesus and asked him about the law? He asked him, Jesus, tell us, what is the greatest commandment? Which is actually just another way to say, Jesus, tell me, how can I be holy and distinct and set apart from the world? What is the most important thing that I have to obey that will make me different than the nation's? Jesus, tell me, what does the law teach me how to be different and holy and set apart? Now, if we would ask that question today, Jesus, tell us, what is the greatest thing, the greatest rule and and law to obey that makes us as Christians different than the world? You know, we we might expect uh, something along the lines of, hey, is it the commandment against homosexuality? Is it the commandment against the murder of innocent children? Is that what sets Christians apart from the world? 
Is it, your, is it the commandment against claiming an identity apart from God's image in us? Tell us, Jesus, what does it mean for us to be holy? What is the greatest commandment that we can follow to make us distinct? Jesus' response tells us, greatest commandment, the thing that will make you distinct in the world, is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is what it means to be holy, to love God and love your neighbor. Now, in our, in our sinfulness and in our wretchedness, we take that command and we say, well, I think I know how I can love God, and uh, I think I can love my neighbor, but I've got some pretty rough neighbors. Who really is my neighbor? I, I, I want to define that. And we actually take that command and we say, I know a loophole. If I pull away and withdraw myself from my neighbors, if I isolate myself in a Christian community and bubble where the only people I ever interact with are Christians, well, then it's easy to love your neighbor because your neighbors are all Christians. It's easy to take that command and find a loophole and withdraw ourselves from the responsibility of loving our non-believing neighbors. But we can't do that. Just look at the life of Jesus, who was 100% holy. Like he embodied holiness perfectly. Did Jesus withdraw himself from his non-Christian, non-believing, non-faithful neighbors? No. He didn't isolate himself with just his disciples. No, he went towards his neighbors who didn't believe in him. He went towards his neighbors that didn't believe in God, who uh, on all outward appearances, you just don't want to be around. Jesus moved toward them. In fact, they moved toward him. Yes, Jesus was completely holy, but not holy in a way that, was, uh, that repelled people. It was holiness that actually attracted people. That's true holiness. True holiness is not repellent, but attractive. So what does Peter mean by living a holy life? To live a holy life is to live a life of love and righteousness toward God and toward our neighbor that actually draws people to Jesus. To live a holy life is to live a life of love and righteousness toward God and toward our neighbor that draws people to Jesus. And Peter says that we are to be holy in all of our conduct, in everything we do. That means 
this call to holiness is not just something that we participate in on Sunday morning, but on Monday when you get behind the wheel of your car and you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, Peter says, be holy in all your conduct. Love that neighbor in some way, in some fashion that maybe draws them to Jesus. That's especially true if you've got kids in your car. Uh, I'm prone to road rage. And there have been times that my son has repeated things I've said uh, that I wish I could take back. A drive in a holy way. But when you get to work and you're at a staff meeting and your supervisor does something or makes a decision or says something that gets under your skin, be a holy employee. Be kind and gentle. Be patient. Be sacrificial and loving. Be an example even for your coworkers. And something's different about this guy. When you're at the park with your kids, be holy at the park. That doesn't mean, you know, telling them what to do versus not what to do. It means uh, pursuing neighbors in the way that you are at the park with your family. It means having an eye to see, hey, who's the dad with three kids here that looks worn out and tired? How can I bless him tonight? Hey, you brought snacks and the mom with her kid didn't bring a snack. Invite them to come and share. Be holy at the park. You've got a new neighbor that moved down in down the street. Be holy towards your neighbor. Love them in such a way that draws them to Jesus. No matter who they are or where they come from or uh, what lifestyle they have, make them feel welcomed. Make them feel loved. Go over with a gift or a card. Let them know your number. Say, hey, I'm just across the street. Call if you need anything. Be a holy neighbor. Peter says, if you want to live faithfully and missionally in this world, live a holy life. Now, why should we do that? What are the reasons Peter gives us Uh, to propel us towards this way of living. Well, there's three I want to point out. First, Peter says, be holy. Why? Because you already are. Be holy because you already are. Verse 13 begins with the word, therefore. And, And throughout Scripture... Whenever you're reading and you come across the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And almost always, therefore is a way that the writer is saying, I'm about to tell you to do something, but I need you to remember what I just said about who you are. And what did Peter just get done telling us? The last two weeks we've emphasized Peter has started his letter reminding us that you are chosen by the Father. You have been 
sanctified by the Spirit, and you have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. You are saved. You have been born again. You have a living hope. Therefore, live a holy life. Now, it's hard to see in our English translation um, what Peter is actually making the connection to, but in the, the Greek, when Peter says you have been sanctified by the Spirit, in, back in verse 2, that word sanctify is actually the same Greek word as holy. You have been holified by the Spirit. And because you have been holified by the Spirit, now live a holy life. We've been holified not because we have worked for it or we deserve it, not because we've lived moral lives, we've kept pure, we've kept clean, we've done so much good for God and therefore God credits us holiness. No, we have been holified because God in his grace and mercy has sent his spirit in us to bring us to new life. and We receive that by grace. You have been holified, therefore be holy. Peter is saying, live as though it were already true of who you are, because in all reality it is. You are holy. So live in the reality of who you are in Christ. This is our identity. This is what we've received from Jesus. We are covered in his righteousness. We have put on his robes of purity. We have been set apart from the world because of Christ. It's been given to us by grace. It is who we are. And so live in it. Back in college for the wintertime, when I was home with family, I um, worked for UPS for their seasonal jobs. And uh, the most important rule for working at UPS is at the end of your contract, you have to return the brown jacket. You have to return the brown jacket. It's the most important rule that they have for you. Why? Because if you wear that brown jacket, you can get into a school you can get into any business, you can get into a church, you can go anywhere if you're wearing the brown jacket. So you have to return it when you're done working for them. Friends, you have put on Christ's robe of righteousness. It is already on you. You don't have to wait until heaven to receive it. He has given it to you. Now you have access to God. You are seen by God as righteous and holy. That is who you are. Peter says, now live in the truth of that reality. We have to get this order right. Peter doesn't say, live a holy life and you will be holified. He says, you have been made holy, now live in that truth. Why should we live holy lives? Because in Christ, we already are 
we're just living who we are in Christ. Second, though, Peter says, live a holy life, not just because you are holy in Christ, but because God is holy. He says in verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also now be holy in all of your conduct. Peter is reminding us that God's very character and nature is one of holiness. No other word in the Bible is repeated three times other than the word holy. Sometimes Jesus will say, truly, truly, I tell you, and he's trying to get our attention. Like, listen up, Jesus is saying something important. Um, but only one word is repeated three times to grab our attention, and it's holy, 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 and it's said about God. God is holy, holy, holy. It means he himself is set apart entirely. He is so other than. That is part of who he is. He is holy in all of his attributes. He is holy in his wisdom, far more wise than any of us. He is holy in his sovereignty, his power and ability to control things. He is entirely on another plane. He is holy in his creative power. Just look around into creation. We see his holy creativity. He is holy in his judgment and justice. He sees through our lives and knows justice completely. He is holy in his compassion, showing us grace and mercy far above anything we've ever experienced. God is holy, 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 and he is holy in his love. No other being loves the way he has loved us. So then for us to be holy, because God is holy, is to align ourselves up with his very nature. It is to align ourselves up with his holiness. Yes, to a much lesser degree, of course, but it is to link ourselves up with him, to walk in step with him. Peter says in verse 14 that we are to not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as one uh, who, who called us as holy, we are to be holy. And that word conformed that Peter used, it's, it's from the same word that we get the word schematic from, or, or instructions, or diagram. Peter is saying that there is a pattern that we are to follow and adhere to. That you used to follow a pattern of life before you knew the truth of the gospel, but now you are called to line up with a new pattern, God himself. You have a new design, a new diagram to follow, a new schematic that you are to pattern your life after, God himself. Be holy because God is holy. Pattern your life after his, after his character, his love, his grace, and his compassion. This was how things were to be at the beginning, created in the image of God. But now in Christ, we've been recreated after the image of Christ, the God-man. Let us now in our conduct be in line with him. Finally, Peter says that we are to be holy 
because we have been ransomed. Verse 18 says, knowing that you have been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Be holy because you have been ransomed. That word ransom, it simply means to be bought, to be purchased. And it was used uh, in the ancient world as, a, as an enslaved person would save up money they could buy their freedom, or, or even their owner, uh, if they had inherited this slave, could purchase their freedom. They could be redeemed. They could be ransomed, where a price is paid, and that life, which was now enslaved, is now free. We have been, re- we have been ransomed. What have we been ransomed from? Peter says we've been ransomed from our futile ways of living. Futile. I had to look up that word. It means empty. It means hollow. We've been set free from the hollowness of life. One definition said that uh, a futile life is a life incapable of of producing any useful result or purpose. Incapable of finding purpose. A futile life is an endless pursuit of meaning and fulfillment that at the end of the day is just empty. Augustine and and Luther both wrote about this empty life, this futile life, and they, they said that it was a life that was lived bent inward on itself, a life focused on oneself, bent inward, a life oriented around yourself. It is a life of meaninglessness apart from yourself. It seems like our society is built to cater to the futile ways that we've inherited from our forefathers. We live in a world that caters to lives bent inward on themselves, giving us whatever we need to sustain this endless cycle of emptiness. One uh, writer put it this way, the market, the, the society, our culture, it is happy to aid us in these endless pursuits, these quests but the unlimited desire and consumption always leaves us exhausted and empty. There's always something more that we could buy. There's always something more that we could do to improve ourselves. There's always something else that we could watch and be entertained from. There was always something else to try or experience. But all this does at the end of the day is leave us exhausted and empty. We have been redeemed from a purposeless and meaninglessness, an endless cycle on the hamster wheel. We have been redeemed and ransomed from that. What have we been redeemed to? A life of love and righteousness for God and for our neighbor. We've been set free from looking inward on ourselves So now we can actually look outward. We've been set free from the futile ways that we have been living in so that we can actually live with life 
and purpose and meaning towards God and our neighbor. That is what we've been ransomed to. How did that happen? How can we be set free from ourselves and actually live this holy life that Peter calls us to? Peter says that it was by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus is the one who ransomed us. He paid the price for our freedom by taking our place in his death, death that we deserved. I love, uh, at the end of the fourth Harry Potter book, uh, The Goblet of Fire, I'm going to maybe spoil the ending, but hey, they've been out for a while. You've had your chance to read the story. Uh, the bad guy in the fourth book, uh, we find out that he's alive. We all thought he was dead. We all thought that he died in the prisoner or, uh, uh, in Azkaban, um, Barty Crouch Jr., but he's alive. And at the end of the story, they get him to tell the story of how did, how did he survive. And he says, I was in prison. I was a slave in my cell, and my mom came. My mom was dying, and, and she took a potion that made her look like me, and I took a potion that made me look like her. She came into my cell, and I walked free. My mom died where I was, and I was set free. They buried her thinking it was me, and I went free. Everyone thought I was her. They switched places. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us to redeem us. He took our place on the cross so that when we look to the cross, we see ourselves there. But in taking our sin on the cross, he has given himself to us, his perfect righteousness. We've been set free and now live freely in his love, set free now to live a life of holiness. Friends, Peter is writing to us in this letter how to be faithful and how to be missional. He tells us this morning we are to live holy lives, lives of distinct love and righteousness for God and for our neighbor that draws people to Jesus. And the only way we can do that is if we know and believe and find ourselves ransomed by his own love for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen us. You have called us to yourself and set us apart, not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to merit it, not because we've proved ourselves worthy of it, but because of your great love. You have set your love upon us and called us to yourself, called us for a purpose. You've given us meaning in this life, Lord, meaning and purpose to love you and love our neighbor. We pray Lord, would you give us opportunities for that now, even this week. In Jesus' name we pray.